Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. So we are in week 16 of our series in the book of Galatians, and for you students, you've missed a few over the the Christmas holiday and a little bit through January. We are kind of finishing up this sermon series. We have tonight and then one more teaching next week where Paul kind of crosses the last T and dots the last I um, in this letter, even though he didn't use English characters. He he wrote in Greek, but we'll, we'll leave that. He dotted lowercase yodas and crossed his towels. Just, I'm feeling especially awkward tonight. I'm going, uh, going to transition into less awkward, less awkward take here. So we've got uh, one more week of the sermon series in Galatians next week, but tonight we're going to continue in uh, the same theme that we've been at for the last couple of weeks. Namely, Paul has transitioned from his indicative teaching in the beginning of his epistle into a time of imperative. And Paul is known for doing this. Whenever he's writing letters, he starts off by hammering home the statements of truth to reaffirm who people are, who Jesus is, what has happened in light of the cross and the empty tomb, and now who the Christian community is before he launches into how we should act and how we should respond with our lives to the truth of the gospel. So for the first four and a half chapters of this book, Paul has been laying it on quite thick, the importance of Jesus, the revelation of God that has been given to Paul to share this gospel, not only to a Jewish contingent, but to Gentiles, people that don't have the same identity markers as the Jewish uh, folks at this time. Paul's gospel was a Jesus-only gospel, a, a gospel where you committed yourselves and pledged your allegiance to following Christ. And for Paul, that was enough. And he was hammering home to his audience that now in light of this decision that you have made to follow Jesus, you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to promise. Like these are these beautiful truths that the the churches of Galatia could now accept of themselves before they went into, now what do we do in light of this? There's all kinds of underlying details there, but that's basically the, the short of this letter is that Paul is reaffirming who these people are before he teaches them what they are to do. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what Paul has been moving us into and figuring out what it now looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. And for Paul, you could, you could almost summarize it in, followers of Jesus are led by the Spirit. Followers of Jesus are not slaves to the law. Followers of Jesus do not need to be circumcised and to follow Sabbath laws and food laws as the Old Testament community 
did. Jesus has radically revolutionized and changed everything, and life is now different because of what he has done. In the Galatian community, I'll also say this as far as background, in the Galatian community, there was also discord and disunity amongst the believers as to what constitutes a true faith relationship with Jesus. There was discord and disunity, and some people would say, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the law in this way. Other people would say, no, it's just about Jesus, this is what Paul said, and some other people would say, well, Paul's an idiot, he didn't know what he's talking about. And there was in-house fighting with these groups who were claiming to follow Jesus, but what that looked like for them was very, very, very different, and all this is underlined now what Paul is saying that we need to do in light of Jesus. So I'm going to reread some of the the text that we looked at last week, just because we really only looked at these first two verses here, but it kind of, um, it goes along with the next three verses. But tonight we're going to try to travel through Galatians chapter six, verses one through 10. So I'm going to go back and reread the stuff that we looked at last week, just for uh, the sake of being comprehensive. This is Galatians chapter six, beginning in verse one. It says, brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The word of God for the people of God. So looking at Galatians chapter six, Paul is kind of going back and forth between mutual responsibility, the life of the community engaging and um, kind of keeping each other accountable, but then also putting in notes of individual accountability. So at times, Paul is talking about the mutuality that happens within community. So for example, last week, we looked at this text. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. There's all sorts of teaching here that Paul is like, on, you should approach this person, literally the text is, in a spirit of gentleness, so that when you have this conversation about pointing out fault or one's transgressions, that you would be uh, engaged in that conversation in a way that is appropriate. But this is about the community being involved in each other's lives. This is not about American individualism, where we put someone over there and we just let them be and let them do, as long as they're not hurting anybody, it's not my deal. For Paul in the Christian community, it looked terribly different. It was followers of Jesus who were involved and invested for the greater good of the community to be able to call out sin in people's lives, but to do so in a way that promotes gentleness and respect 
and the unity that only comes through the spirit guiding us. It talks about restoring this person. And we talked about just very briefly last week how this restoration was not putting someone in a different category, as in a a less than category, but restoring them within the community so that everyone was back on the same playing field because Jesus has forgiven us all greatly. And at times, Christians, we forget our past, we forget even sometimes our present or our future, where we struggle with certain things and we begin to compare and we begin to look and we begin to, to prioritize and privilege and place some people in a top spot and other people kind of less than. Underlying this teaching for Paul is again this, this idea of the dissension within the community where people were putting folks into specific categories and beginning to look at people as less than. So Paul is saying, if you see someone caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, restore them gently. But the individual accountability comes in in the next line when he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Again, just by way of review, when I used to read this passage, I used to think that this was when you'd go to talk to somebody about their sin patterns, Paul is saying, look out or you too might fall prey to the same sin that you are calling out in your friend. In uh, more probability, it seems as though that beware that you might think yourself better or greater than you actually are. So when you're having a conversation, pointing out something in someone else's life, there's a tendency where you start to think that you're pretty, pretty good at following Jesus. Can I get an amen? Yeah. You, like, this person doesn't get it, but I do, and I need to go talk to them about their sinful ways. You almost play that savior mentality, and Paul is saying, look out, because you are forgetting where you have come from, and you are forgetting the things that are holding you back. It's difficult for us to begin to play that game where we say, you need to work on something without recognizing the same things that we need to be working on. So here, Paul is stressing... Um, the community and engaging in these difficult conversations with people for the sake of the community and that we would do so in a way where we won't find that ourselves are better than anyone else. The, the text continues, and we looked at this, uh, this last, last week, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what Paul is after here is you are engaged in the community so that you are giving people an example, a living example of what it looks like to live and love as Christ loved. That same self-sacrificial love that, that Jesus was guided by throughout his ministry that culminates in his death on the cross for us. This is what Paul is wanting us to be driven by. It's not loving people for the rewards that we get. It's not loving people so that we can look really good. It's not loving people because we just want to to earn something or what have you. It's loving people in a self-sacrificial manner because this is what Jesus is asking us to do. And I have to say this, that if the church was on board with this, myself included, we would be giving people a very different image of what Jesus is and what his church is about if we were actually living this out. For most of us, we have bought into this very um, my kingdom sort of mentality. We've bought into this individualistic mentality where it's just about us. Now, in in contrast to this, Paul does say, carry each other's burdens. Care about the people that are uh, in your sphere of influence. This also means that for some of us, we're going to have to open up and actually allow people to see what some of our burdens are. But then Paul uh, comes alongside and and speaks of individual accountability, where later in in the passage, he says, each one should test their own works. 
Each one should carry their own load. And right off the bat, it seems that these two statements are in, con uh, they're in conflict with one another, but I want to kind of break them down into different parts because even as Paul is saying that we should test our own work, some of us are coming at this uh, with some baggage. Now, Augustine was a famous Christian theologian in the fourth century, and people say that when he used to preach, he would identify certain groups in the room, and he'd say, now I'm going to preach to the, the Christians in the room, and he'd talk to them for 15 minutes, and he'd say, now I'm going to talk to the pagans in the room, and then he'd talk to them for a few minutes. I don't think that he lost them with that moniker, I'm not sure, but we won't do that tonight. But in this moment, I'm going to talk to the people that might have some church baggage here. Because when you hear the word work, you might think, uh-oh, I've learned that works are a bad thing, that we are not saved by works, we're saved by grace, that works don't really matter because it's just about Jesus. So what's Paul doing talking about us uh, testing our own works? What Paul is saying here is he says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And again, he's talking about if you go to have these conversations with people and you leave those conversations thinking, I'm not as messed up as that person, so I must be doing okay. Paul goes on to give a line to that person by saying each one should test their own work. Paul says similar things in other passages in the Bible, like in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Think about that phrase there. This one's jarring if you're not ready for it. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Have you ever taken a moment of silent reflection where you just say to yourself, am I, am I getting this? Am I doing okay? Am I really a follower of Jesus? The room's super quiet right now, I think because if we're honest with ourselves, we've been there. This is a terrible pastor confession. Are you ready? Sometimes I'm riding down the road, and I don't know if this is true with you, but it just like hits me, the craziness of all of this, whether that's life or whether that's Jesus or whether that's trusting in him and being given life. Now, these are these existential moments, which for me, I mean, that's kind of the, the air that I breathe. Like, I'm just a walking existential crisis waiting to happen. But like, for some of you, it's like, these are rare. And I, sometimes you just think like, I, uh, I don't know. And Paul is giving legitimacy to that where he says, examine yourselves. And he's not talking about the truth of it all, but he's saying, just, just be real with yourselves for a second to see if you are actually in the faith. Now, we'll, we'll put, some, put some more meat to this. He says, test yourselves. He goes on to say, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. That's not great pastoring from Paul there. It's like, don't you get it? You're fine, unless you're not. And then you're, you're, you're not fine at all, and I can't help you. He says, I do trust that you'll discover that we have not failed the test, but you have to think he's, you know, lots of these red, uh, letters were Paul was giving dictation to someone else who was writing it down. And I just wonder if there was like an aside there, like saying, maybe, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff going on in, in Corinthians uh, at this time, lots of crazy 
sexy stuff happening there. Um, he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. In Romans chapter 12, he says, uh, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, Paul is saying, do not be afraid to have those moments when you sit and you reflect and you say things like, am I really getting this? Has Jesus really taken over my life? Am I really transformed? Am I really following him? Do I really even care? Can anybody see it in my life? And I'm not talking about the garbage that you've heard about when you follow Jesus, that you just become this walking like cliche and you're smiling and like they can, they can sense Jesus's presence as you're in Walmart. And it's just the, the essence about you as you're pushing your shopping cart is like, that person must be following Jesus because they are really excited to be here. That is not what I'm talking about. Okay, so just you're, you're okay, I'm okay. But does your life bear fruit for Paul, the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, kindness, forbearance. Like, does your life exhibit that? Examine your work, he says. Take the time to ask yourselves these questions. Paul is convinced that authentic faith, this is Richard Hayes, says that authentic faith, it manifests itself in action and that Christ and the Spirit empower such faithful action. Thus, to test one's work is to examine whether it really embodies the loving character of Christ. Do we really embody the loving character of Christ, Paul is saying, to these people that think they really have it figured out? But wherever it is that we come from, as we sit in this room, for the people that are very seasoned and you've been following Jesus for a long time, you can ask yourself the question, does your life move from your silent individual study in the morning to a life where you are exhibiting self-sacrificial love in a way that people can see it, not just in Walmart, but in every aspect of your life? And for the people that have just started this faith relationship with Jesus, where you say, you know what, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm being pulled in this direction and I want to follow Jesus, you can begin to ask yourself these questions about, am I living out this law of love that Paul is talking about. In this text, Paul is saying there's no room for comparison. And as soon as I wrote that, my mind immediately goes all over the place. Whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, I'm, I'm old, I don't do Snapchat. I don't know if it's as like, comparing type stuff. You got, I'm sure you've got some of those like the funny people and like, oh, their, their stories are so funny and I'm just, I'm boring and I just don't love myself. Like, I don't know if you, if you go there, but I know with like Facebook and Instagram, it's like likes, 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 shares, shares, shares. If people aren't engaging, then I must not be worth anything. I listened to a This American Life not too long ago and basically it was talking about these middle school girls and whenever they would put up a picture, if it didn't get X amount of likes within 30 minutes, they'd delete it real quick because they didn't want to look stupid. Doesn't your heart just kind of break when you hear that kind of stuff? Because their, their whole identity is, has nothing to do with, with Jesus. It has nothing to do with their deep relationships with their family or their friends. It just has to do with surface level stuff. Now, for, for other people, it might be, I don't know. I don't know. That, 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 that might just be me, right? You know, I, I know we've got some, like, some, some MCs in the room, and maybe like when you put up a new mixtape, you're like, I want to know how many listens I got. No, okay. You, you might, like advancing into the, the older stages of life, your workstation, 
uh, might, might indicate how you have arrived or how you have not arrived. And you don't compare likes and shares. You don't compare online. You compare in real life with the person sitting next to you who just showed up to share a cubicle with you two months ago and now they're promoted and you've been there for two or three years. For students, it might be you compare GPAs or grad schools. Like when I figured out that it was my dream to go get a PhD, there were certain people when they were applying to like these really great schools, I was thinking like, I hate them. Because not only were they applying, they were getting into these schools. So now, even now, whenever I see them, it's like, oh, that's University of Chicago, that's Harvard, that's Princeton, and I'm me. And you start playing that game, and I think that there's, there's um, difficulties where we start comparing ourselves in that way. And, and I know, like, in the same way, you can go online, you can see these family photos of people, and they're just, like, they, look, they look so good and so put together and just... You might long for that. If you're not married, you don't have kids, you might long for that. If you are married and your kids are crazy and your house is a wreck, you might long for, for this, where it's like, oh, they're all wearing like tan pants and white shirts and they're like running through the beaches together. And it's like, I can barely get a jacket on my kid before I want to like go into a different room and meditate. I also, I just, you know, when you're doing, when you're doing, family photos, it's like, you can't help but just include, you know, and like, God bless them. You know, that's sometimes you, you look at that, you say, why can't my family be like that? Where we suggestive, suggestively sit on a tree and there's no room for comparison, you know? So for Paul, it, it, we're very quick to say, I'm better than that person, but I'm not quite as good as this person. And Paul is saying, stop and examine your work. Now it gets really weird because he goes on to say, each one should test their own work. And again, uh, as Augustine would say, I'm gonna talk to the people with some church history and some church baggage here, not necessarily negative baggage, but just things tucked away. Each one should test their own work. And then in the NIV, it goes on to say, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Does that not strike you as kind of strange? Because Paul's saying, like, just, I want, what I want you to do is I want you to pull out a chair and I want you to sit in there and just reflect on your work and then just take pride in it. I doubt that that's a, that's a teaching that you've heard, but now what, listen to what's happening here because I do think that there's some, some beautiful truth here in what's, what's, what Paul is saying. Another, maybe a better translation of this line would be, then each one should test their own work and then they will direct their boast to themselves alone and not to their neighbor. That initial like jar of like, do we really have stuff to be proud about? Like we kind of think that being a follower of Jesus is being super humble and not having anything flashy. And I think Paul, now check me here, but I think Paul is saying, when you are walking with Jesus and you are living in the spirit, you should be able to sit down in that figurative chair and to reflect on the things that Christ has done through you and maybe smile and maybe see how you, despite all odds, have been used to have conversations with someone that bring them hope 
And it's not about you and like all the cool stuff that you're doing, but it's what Christ and what the Spirit is doing in and through you. And Paul is saying, don't be afraid to remember that. And when you do, don't go and tell everybody about it. Don't go to Facebook and say, I just had a great meeting with so-and-so and really spoke life to them today. And if it wasn't for me, they'd be in a gutter somewhere, but thanks be to God that I was there and God used me. You, like the humble Jesus brag sort of stuff that is not, that's, Paul's saying you don't direct your boast to them, you keep it to yourself. And that might be something that fuels you in the future when life seems to not be going in the right direction. And you can look back on these moments and remember not only Jesus working in and through you, but Jesus working. And perhaps in those moments when you need something, Jesus can work in your life as well. They will direct their boast to themselves alone and not to their neighbor. It seems really weird. And I know it brings about this big question about, does this mean we have things to boast about? And I would say, in Christ, yeah. Now, Paul does go on to say, I have nothing to boast about but Christ. So there's this tension there. But it does seem at least when we are following Jesus and when we are heirs according to the promise and when we have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer us who live but Christ who lives within us, when we have that relationship, do we have things to boast about? Yes, and it's Christ who's working in us and through us. And if we allow him, if we submit to that law of love, he can use us in ways that we could never have anticipated. Whoever you are in this space, whatever it is that you are bringing with you into this space, Jesus can use you for his glory. Do not buy the lie that you're not worth it or that you are unusable, that you are tainted goods. That is a lie. And what Paul is saying is don't, don't forget about these moments, perhaps, when Jesus can be at work in and through you. Now, Paul also goes on to say, for each one should carry their own load. And remember that he had said in, in chapter, excuse me, in verse two, carry each other's loads. And now he's saying for each one should carry their own load. The way that you can read this or interpret this is each person is individually accountable and held accountable for the things that they do. Now, you know we're going for it, people, when we're breaking off a little fourth Ezra. You know we're going for we're breaking off a little Old Testament pseudepigrapha. Okay? So we are, we are looking back at this passage, which is an intertestamental text, which sets the context for what Paul and other Jewish interpreters at the time were thinking about what was going to be. And in this passage, in 4 Ezra, it says, the day of judgment is decisive and displays to all the seal of truth. Here's the important part. Just as now a father does not send his son or a son send his father or a master send his servant or a friend send his dearest friend to be ill or sleep or eat or healed in his place, so no one shall ever pray for another on that day. Neither shall anyone lay a burden for another for all 
then shall bear their own righteousness and unrighteousness. This is an apocalyptic text that is looking forward to the end of time. And what the author is saying is, it is just going to be about you on that day. No more community. It's just about your work, your relationship with Jesus, the commitments that you have made. No longer do you piggyback off of the faith commitments of your community. Now it is just you. We have another passage in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. And on that day, what Paul is saying and what Paul says a lot of times throughout his letters is works matter. Now do not misunderstand me, precious people. What I am not saying is when you stand before God that it has anything to do with your works as the basis for your salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. His perfect work has sanctified us and justified us and we are seen as righteous through him. However, it does not stop there. When you follow Jesus, your life becomes so changed that the outpouring of your life is beautiful, redemptive, restorative works that look like the love of Jesus that he has poured out for us. And what Paul is saying is works matter because your life should be giving evidence of your relationship with Jesus. We are not saved by the works that we do but without them, friends, I don't think it's a far stretch for us to say we are not saved. Jesus has redeemed us, but when that happens, our lives become so transformed that when we sit down to examine the work, we should be seeing fruits of love and joy and peace, that we should be seeing the Spirit in and through us. Richard Hayes again says, the key is to recognize that our work is not an independent achievement as if this is something that we are doing in distinction from God. Our work instead, it's the fruit of the spirits that's working in and through us. It's not our work, but it is the spirit that's working in and through us as we have already said. You know, it's funny, as I was preparing this, I, I, I might have even said to Meredith and Josh, I was like, I feel like I got nine sermons rolled up into, into one. And I do, because there's like 15 more slides. But that seems excessive to me right now. <laughs> what we have in this letter, and I think it's, it's okay to say this, actually, I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead because I do think the, we can wrap this up here with, with the end. These, these texts, it, it seems like they're kind of um, meandering, but they do have a cohesion to them. Paul in verse 6 has kind of what, what commentators would say is a parenthetical remark. It's just like this kind of, oh, let me, I thought about this and let me put it in the letter. Which, man, if you're a thinking crowd, that really gets your juices flowing with regard to how Scripture is written and how God is working through his... Uh, the authors of, of scripture, because Paul is saying like, oh wait, before I move on, I need to throw this in there. And what he's saying is, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. What Paul seems to be getting at here is, in the Christian community, the church should support the church. The church 
should support the church. My, my hand signals are all messed up. Paul is basically asking for money here, uh, but not for himself. He's asking for money for other people. Paul oftentimes has shirked um, money for himself. But here he's saying, if the church is going to work, the small C church, if that's going to work, the people need to be invested in what is going on in the ministry of the church. He continues, and I think this is, this is linked. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, but whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And Paul is right back in this individual responsibility, this individual accountability. He's trying to get people to realize, listen, everything that you do, from the money that you make and the way that you spend it, everything that you do is either going to sow seeds for the flesh or it is going to sow seeds for the spirit. Everything that you say and everything that you do is either going to be sowing seeds for the flesh or it's going to be sowing seeds for the spirit. And as we begin to sit on that seat and think about to examine our work, to see what Jesus is doing in and through us, those are the questions that, that rattle around in our brain or should be rattling around in our brain. Am I out for me and for mine or am I sowing seeds for the spirit? Now, this isn't just about money, of course not, but this is about the way that we live and the, the way that we um, put our own agenda off to the side to do things and to care about things that matter. The book concludes with these last couple of verses that I think we can just read and let them sit there and challenge us. Paul says, in light of all of this, this is bringing a conclusion to his imperative section, in light of everything that we now know, in light of our uh, recollection of who we are in Christ, in light of the fact that we are heirs according to the promise, that we are Abraham's kids, that we have been invited into this, this family, this covenant family that Jesus has radically changed and transformed us. In light of all of this stuff, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, and this is Paul, again, like kind of in apocalyptic tone. He doesn't know when the end is going to be. So he's saying, as, 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 as long as we have opportunity for doing this, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have this opportunity, let us do good to all people, those inside the community of faith and those outside the community of faith. And he says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. At the end of this passage, it seems as though Paul is wanting us to reflect not just on who we are, who we have been called to be, and how we are living in light of that, but he's also wanting to encourage us. Do not tire of sowing seeds for the Spirit. Do not tire of being invested in the work of the community. Do not tire of calling people out on their sin and on their transgressions and in a way that demands us to be living in the spirit and also in a way that demands our, our tone and our conversation to be fueled by a spirit of gentleness. Do not tire of, of being a wise steward of your money. Do not tire of doing good. Jesus had, has called us to this work. And what, what, at least in my reading of Paul, you could come away with is, it's not just about you. There's this tension between mutual responsibility and individual accountability. When we sit on that chair and think about the good works that we may or may not have that Jesus has, has done through us, 
We also remember it's for the sake of the community. It's for the sake of the greater good. It's for the sake of the people on the margins and the outskirts to be invited in. This book of Galatians is a beautiful letter. And next week, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can wrap it up um, in a way that is befitting of, of Paul's language here. But for tonight, what I want us to focus on is this. Do we care about the community? Are we willing to engage in difficult conversations for the sake of the community? Are we also willing to sit and to reflect honestly with who we are? And then maybe even take a step of boldness and faith. And if we don't like what we see, to ask Jesus to change and transform us for his glory and for his good. My hope tonight is that we don't get bogged down in the, the theological stuff about works and grace and that understanding that Jesus is that foundation of our salvation, but also understanding that what he is calling us to must show fruit in real life or it's worthless. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.